Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm Josh Tillerosa, and today this is our final message in a series of messages that we've been in for now. This will be our 10th week, and so it's our final message in this series, Mountains, Valleys, and the Moments in Between. And next week we're actually going to be uh, backing things up, looking at Jesus' arrival here on earth as we launch into a new series of messages called The Divine Descent. And it'll be our Christmas series, and I want to encourage you to uh, share our website with others and, and invite people to check out our service either online or come live to Orange Terrace Community Center at 9 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. And so uh, we've really only scratched the surface of, of this type of study through the Gospels, the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the biographies of Jesus. We've really just you know sort of touched on the surface of the storyline, but I hope what we've done in these 10 weeks has really piqued your interest to study, to learn, and to do some more uh, digging on your own. And so, now Jesus, as we've looked at these stories, you can see he was a masterful teacher. He was also a compassionate friend. And more than that, though, he revealed that he was the long-awaited Savior. He was the Messiah. He was inviting people to follow and to trust in him as the Lord of their lives. And so we're going to be wrapping up this series in the book of Matthew. And it's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to look uh, beginning with chapter 21. We're starting at the final week of Jesus' life. And we'll be sort of walking through this week. We'll touch on the beginning of the week and then the end of the week. So let's look. Matthew 21, verse 1. It reads this. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus... Then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, a donkey with its young child would be in a nearby village, and Jesus is sending his two disciples, two of them, to retrieve these two animals. And he says, Just retrieve them and bring them to me. And then in verse 3, it reads, If anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So just try for a moment to picture this scene. We're just supposed to go into this town and untie these animals, and they're just going to give them to us? Yep, that's what's going to happen. And Matthew adds this, verse 4, it reads, This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Now this is a direct quote from Matthew quotes from Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9. This is uh, from an Old Testament prophet written hundreds of years before. This is the verses. Verse 5, Matthew 21, 5. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the, the foal of a donkey. So this prophecy from about 500 50 years before was about the Messiah who would triumphantly enter into the city of Jerusalem, that capital city, riding atop of a donkey. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem would hail him king through their actions. 
And so Jesus, he's pretty much just setting the stage for this grand entry. This is a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. He's about to enter into the capital city. He's the Messiah. He's making another point declaring his identity. And so we celebrate this on the Christian calendar on the Sunday before Easter. This is known as Palm Sunday. So let's keep reading. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. Imagine again the scene. Imagine the two disciples going into uh, this town and seeing a stake with a couple of ropes tied to it with a donkey and a colt. Now, there there actually is some interactions between the owners. Here in Matthew's account, we don't see the interaction, but in Mark and Luke's account, we see uh, the interaction where the owners uh, ask the disciples, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And so you'll find that in Mark 11:5 and in, in Luke uh, 19, verse 33 and 34, it records essentially the owner saying, hey, what are you doing untying my animals? And um, the Lord needs them? Oh, okay, sounds good. And so just like Jesus said what happened, happens. And again, these encounters, when God's word comes true, when Jesus keeps his word, these encounters just keep building our confidence in God's perfect plan. Everything in life just keep keeps going according to God's perfect plan. Now, verse 7 reads this. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. So they bring the colt and the donkey, so the, the, the donkey and then that's the mother to the colt. They bring these animals to, to Jesus. Mark and Luke also revealed that, that these were unridden animals. So they were not yet broken in. These were hardly the animals for a royal processional, for Jesus to be sitting on top of them. Maybe you might think if he's the king and he's the Messiah, then he should be uh, riding on top of a large, mature stallion. Not these animals, but these specific details. Again, they highlight how this is part of God's perfect plan. It says that they laid their clothes on these animals and, and Jesus goes and he sits on them. Now, there's no padding on the back of these animals. So the disciples use their own clothes, their own garments, and they actually lay those down to provide some padding. Jesus chose to sit on the colt. So actually, Jesus chooses the colt, uh, the young uh, child of the donkey. And that's really the lower of the two animals. He takes the lowest seat. Uh, we find that in Luke 19, verse 35. It's, it's likely that the donkey uh, was was tied to the colt, and the two of those animals were walking, and Jesus is on top of the colt. Verse 8 reads, A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, so others now, as Jesus is entering, are honoring him. They're taking their garments off and they're putting their garments down on the path for Jesus' colt to walk upon. And people are there for a, a number of reasons. There's a large crowd, we learn. But Jerusalem right now, at this point, was filled with people who were there in the city to celebrate the Jewish Passover. It'll be happening later in that week. And, and people are just laying down their clothes on the road. This is a sign of, of of submission, a sign of respect that you would give to uh, an authority figure, a king, a leader, as if to say, hey, we're your servants. And it says also that others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. This is another similar just act of, of tribute to Jesus. Now, again, this is a massive, massive crowd and, and probably people going before him into the city and people following after Jesus and his disciples as as they're entering. 
And some would even say that this could have been anywhere from two to 300,000 people who were there for the Passover. So just imagine a massive crowd and really a pretty fickle crowd. They're fans at this point. It's like, who? what's happening? You know, you, they, everybody wants to get in on seeing uh, royalty. Everybody wants to get in on seeing someone who's famous and popular. Today, that's the same. In those days, it was it was no different. And so this moment, everybody is praising. And take a look at what they're saying. Verse 9. The crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. That word Hosanna, it just means save now. Save us now. So these these Jews are declaring to Jesus, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now in verse 10 it reads, When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? Now, again, the, the news is spreading, the word is spreading. Not everybody has in, had interacted with Jesus, but everybody there for this uh, Jewish feast was excited. Everybody was, there was buzz around the town. The crowds are saying this. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, people knew these stories. They were floating around. Not everybody had necessarily met Jesus, got to hear from Jesus. So what better time for the Messiah to come and to deliver them uh, than the week of the Passover. All of these people there. Uh, but if you know the story, by the end of the week, this fickle crowd who's who's praising and honoring Jesus, by the end of the week would have all mostly turned on him. And something else that occurred on this journey, Luke records it this way. This is flipping over to Luke chapter 19. Uh, you see this same encounter uh, but after Jesus rides into the city, it reads this, Luke 19.41, As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. So the, the deeper he gets into the city of Jerusalem, he starts weeping, like audibly, not just to himself, but, but this is a word that has to do with a loud wailing even. And he was saying this, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now... It is hidden from your eyes. If this whole city were to embrace me, Jesus is, is, is praying and crying out, and stop resisting me, you know, then everything could change. I, I'm the one that's here that could bring peace. Now, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. If you would just embrace me and receive me. But then he looks far off into the future, and he, and he states this, For the days will come on you, when your enemies will build a barricade around you because they're not going to receive him in Jerusalem. They're, they're not going to, uh, to to embrace him and to follow him. This city would reject him by the end of the week. And he knows this. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. Speaking of Jerusalem, they'll surround you. They'll hem you in on every side. There's a certain point in the future he starts talking about these future events. Verse 44, they will crush you and your children among you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because, here's why, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. And so Jesus, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem because its people didn't truly get the significance of what was going on in their day and in that particular week, they just didn't get it. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm your king. And, you know, national acceptance of Jesus on that day 
would have brought peace. But since the people mostly rejected him and didn't recognize him for who he really was, the city would eventually be ransacked and attacked and destroyed. And so if you know history about uh, the Middle East, a few decades from that point, Roman soldiers would come and kill many, many hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem, their inhabitants, and destroy the temple beginning in the year A.D. 70. And so that's only a few decades. And Jesus, he's looking off into the future because he's God, and he is weeping over this uh, this coming disaster and doom for these people. And he just carries this deep burden. You see it expressed here. He approaches the city and he weeps for it. He's, he's weeping for the inhabitants of this city. This whole religious system that's built into the fiber of this city and the temple, all of its rituals, all of its practices, these were all symbols pointing towards the day that God would send eventually his Savior, the Messiah, to save them. And, and here he is, but it says, you didn't recognize, verse 44, you didn't recognize the time God visited you. And so they didn't, they didn't recognize his visitation, and it broke his heart. And so once again, he, he weeps. Last week we talked about how Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. He wept that in that instance. He shed tears that were really tied to righteous anger as he was grieving with a, with a friend, uh, with friends who'd lost their brother. Just sitting grieving with a, with a family. But this time he weeps. He's wailing loudly over a lost and wandering nation. A group of people who who uh, were really without hope. So uh, throughout this week, um, he is in Jerusalem and he's spending most of his time teaching in the temple. And he would go, and here's a map of, of, of Jerusalem, map of, of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And you can you can find a number of his teachings because he would teach in the temple uh, throughout this week during the day. Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 21, you can read a lot of his teachings from inside the temple. And Luke records that since he's pretty far from home, he would, in the evening, he would leave the temple and he would go to the Mount of Olives. And that's a nearby mountain uh, to pray and to rest. And uh, the mountain was between the temple and the village of Bethany, which was where he would stay when he was in that area. So that was his home away from home. Uh, but journeying to Bethany, he would stop in, at the Mount of Olives and he would pray. He would focus. He would pray for strength. And this mountain uh, would be actually where he would spend his final hours and moments with his disciples, sort of a late night prayer gathering on his final night with his disciples. So let's move up to, to Thursday night. Uh, at this point, Jesus has already shared the Last Supper with his disciples uh, but chronologically, this, this comes directly after that moment of the Last Supper. Uh, he leads his disciples up the Mount of Olives. At the, actually, the base of the Mount of Olives is a garden. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 36. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And again, this is on Thursday night, uh, probably just before midnight. So think really late in the evening. You're in a garden on a mountainside with Jesus, leads them to this place, this garden called Gethsemane. It's near the base of, of, of the Mount of Olives and, and the, the, uh, the, the garden itself now, today there's a church there. Here's a picture of the 
It's called the Church of, of All Nations. And this is the location where Jesus spent most of, of those final moments. And Gethsemane is the name of the garden. It's it actually, it's a compound word. In, in the Hebrew, it, it means oil press. And so got is press and, and shemen is oil. And so Gethsemane, the oil press. And so even today, you could go to the Mount of Olives and you could find olive trees. And in that garden, you would find these old olive trees, this grove of olive trees. And this was a place where where people would have pressed oil uh, from olives. And Jesus, he goes to this garden to talk to his heavenly father. And he's feeling this, this anguish there. He's feeling this intense pressure there. And he's carrying a heavy, heavy burden that really almost nearly overwhelms him with sorrow. And it's interesting that the, the location, the Garden of Gethsemane, where you'd press oil from olives. Jesus is feeling intense pressure in this place. And here's what he tells his disciples. Sit here while I go over there and pray. And so he leaves a handful of his disciples and probably near the entrance to the garden uh, to just stand watch. Now, what do you do when it's late at night uh, and, and you're anxious or you're worried and, or maybe you're really tired and you know you should be praying about something because you've got something on your mind. Well, how long can you stay awake? Uh, how, can, how, how long can you keep your mind and your body focused on prayer? It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, I'm probably not the only one who's attempted to pray late at night only to have found himself, myself, falling asleep. And this is what he told his disciples. Sit here while I go over there and pray. It's very, very difficult to stay focused when you're tired and it's late at night. Even if there's something on your mind you need to be praying about. Well, that's the scene, verse 37, it reads, Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he takes uh, Peter, James, and John. These are the three closest disciples to Jesus. We've looked at this before in this series. But here he is, he takes his, his closest and he knows what is coming. And he knew the plan at this point. He knew his purpose. Uh, but this was now the peak experience of allowing the gravity and the intensity of this whole situation to sort of hit him. And so he's sorrowful, it says, and he's troubled. Why? Well, it's because very soon he would become sin on the cross. The Bible says this about what Jesus experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reads, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he becomes sin on the cross. He had lived a perfect, perfect life. He had never sinned, not even once. And now on the cross, he would bear our sin and he would bear the wrath of God for our sin all of that would be placed on him and he would be our substitute. And this brought Jesus deep, deep agony and anguish. He could feel that through everything in his body and soul. Then you come to verse 38. And it says, He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Deeply grieved. You could essentially say, I'm surrounded by sadness. That's what the words actually literally say, or you might say, I'm extremely sad. He tells Peter, James, and John, this is just where I'm at. I am deeply grieved 
to the point of death. And he tells them, remain here and stay awake with me. So he tells them pretty much what he told the other disciples that he left near the entrance. Hey, stay alert, watch, pray. It says in verse 39, going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed. And here's the prayer. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, this is a great example. He already knew that there was no other way. If he was going to remain in step with the plan, then this was the only way. But he prays anyways. Stop and take that in for a moment. He already knew this was the plan. He knew there was no other way. But still, he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Most of the time, Walking with God in our lives is just difficult to do. And in those moments when things are so tough, I want to encourage you, pour out your heart in prayer. Why? Well, it's because God can handle it. He wants us to bring all of our concerns, all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our questions, all of our requests to him. It's because he can handle it. If you go back to the Old Testament, King David, he he cried out to God similarly. This is from Psalm 62, verse 8. Take a look. It reads, Trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your your hearts before him. God is our refuge. This is an invitation. David's saying, God can take it. And you know what? Jesus models that same prayer right here. Now back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This is the cup of suffering. Some refer to this as the cup of God's wrath. It's really both of those things. It's the suffering, the physical anguish, and the experience of dying that he's about to walk through. But more than that, he's about to bear the wrath of God that we deserved. He he basically gets in front of, he steps in front of our punishment, and he bears it. He takes it. And it's the only way to carry out God's plan of redemption. The cross, the cross was, it was before him. It was ahead of him. And he knew he had to continue to take steps towards it. He had to keep going. If there was any other way, you know, I'd want to know. But according to Jesus and according to the teachings of, of his disciples, this was the only way. If there was any other way to be saved, to have salvation, to have our sin paid for. We'd want to know, but Jesus declares, they're, they're really this is the only way. I'm willing to do this. And not long after his resurrection, when people questioned the disciples, the, uh, the apostles, Peter and John, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends to, to heaven, uh, there's a point when the authorities round up the, the apostles and they question them. And they want to know. Under whose authority and by, by whose name are you doing these things? Why are you teaching these things? Why are you healing people? Here's the answer they gave the authorities. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It reads, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And this story and message was their life's focus until these men died. They couldn't preach a different message and Jesus knew there was no other way but the cross. Salvation doesn't come through us being nice. 
Salvation doesn't come to us or others through acts of kindness. It doesn't come through generous living. It doesn't come through ticking off church attendance. It doesn't come, you know, all those things are good, but it doesn't come through social causes or social justice or supporting a charity. Those are all good things, but those are just works. And none of those works can save any of us. We're only saved, the Bible teaches, by grace alone, through faith alone. The death of the innocent for the guilty. And so Paul, one first century church leader, he wrote this to a church in Greece. He said, we preach Christ crucified. There's no other message to preach. We preach the cross, Paul taught. We want to make sure you know the heart of the message is the cross. You need forgiveness for your sins. So Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. And Jesus, he knew the whole time that he had to go to the cross. And still, he was willing. And so let's go back to the garden and his prayer to the Father. Verse 39, chapter 26. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will but as you will. So Jesus, he stayed completely focused and submitted to the Father. There there was no other way. And this plan was formed in eternity past. Here's the plan. Christ's mission was to come, to die, and to defeat death and the devil in order to redeem us. I mean, that is a loving plan formed by God. He came... Jesus came to buy us back, to redeem us. And the price for our redemption was his own spilled blood. Let's keep moving through this. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's such a contrast between Jesus and the disciples. We can kind of see us and how we drift off and we lose focus and we get out of step and Jesus staying in step with the Father. And again a second time, verse 42. He went away and he prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And so he just, again, he chooses willing submission. Verse 43. And he became, and he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. Probably a confirmation of being it just being really late at night and them being overwhelmed with grief. Verse 44, After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And so, again, not as I will. He's praying to the Father three times, same prayer. Not as I will, but as you will. And then verse 45, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, The time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And then verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. And a large mob. So this John's Gospel actually tells us that this this is a company of soldiers. It's also known as a detachment, which was anywhere from a smaller detachment, 200 soldiers to up to 500 soldiers. So this large mob of people, it reads, with swords and clubs was with him, was with Judas, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And his betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. And so immediately he went up to Jesus and said, 
Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. So Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Verse 50. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, they took hold of Jesus and arrested him. And Jesus would be beaten all through the night, mocked, insulted, tried, and sentenced, and then crucified by 9 a.m. the next morning. Now let's move forward to Matthew 27, verse 33. So this is at the crucifixion scene. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. And after crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And so one final time, Jesus would head up onto a mountain known as Golgotha. And, and it's also known as, the hill was called Calvary as well. Uh, to teach them a lesson that they would never forget. Here's a picture of, of Golgotha, what is still there, the remains of it. Known as the place of the skull, you can, if you look really closely, you can see the rock formations. You can see the image of what looks like a skull right alongside a road. And so people um, passing through the area would be warned uh, not to uh, break the law uh, because there were consequences. And you can see there's a lot of erosion on that hillside today, but you can still see the faint shape of what of what resembles a skull. And people, they watched Jesus die right there on that hill. They watched in sheer horror as he is nailed hands and feet to a wooden cross. And this is torture. This is one of the cruelest ways to punish and then kill someone. And and around the scene, who, were, who was there? Uh, you have John and you have, so the Apostle John, one of the disciples, and you have uh, some of the women up close, it says that Mary Magdalene was there, Mary, Jesus' mother, and then the mother of James and John, they're there. Most of the disciples at this point uh, are are probably watching more from a distance out of fear and, and even just overwhelming grief. And And to the very end, he teaches them, even from that mountain. A lot less words. There's short phrases that Jesus says from the cross but a very, very different setting from all the other mountains that he led them up in the past. But he would suffer anguish in those, what would be six hours on the cross before taking his last breath and then hanging his head to die. And really only after the resurrection would their, would their physical eyes and their spiritual eyes sort of connect the lessons that he had taught them throughout those three years. And this final act on Calvary's mountain had raised their sights even higher. This message that he was preaching from the cross, it stuck. And they caught the vision that spread and spread and spread like wildfire. And no one has ever been able to extinguish this message because the hope of Jesus lives on in his followers. The promises of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus live on in his followers. Even the words and the stories of the Bible, they just live on. In, the, in people's hearts and in people's minds. Last weekend, I, was, I went to the uh, March Air Reserve Base. There's a museum there. 
Uh, you might have been there, but there's, I was walking through the museum. I was taking my wife's uh, grandfather, and I saw this propaganda poster here. And it is from World War II. It was a Nazi Germany propaganda poster hanging on the wall just in, a, in his exhibit. Um, and it was showing propaganda messages. And, you know, there have, through the years, been attempts to silence Christians, to extinguish the message of the cross and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, there's been many, many attempts to uh, wipe out, stamp out Christianity. But what God does is the Lord raises up a remnant of Christians to triumph his message from generation to generation to generation. And I hope you'll be part of that. And as we wrap things up, I want to encourage you to consider a couple of next steps. The first one is this. It's to commit to read through the Gospels again at your own pace next year. Uh, it, it's just, it's really refreshing to read about Jesus' life, to read his teachings, to hear his sermons, uh, to, to reflect on his parables, uh, to, uh, to, to look at the dynamics of him with his disciples, to think about the ways he would teach them and cast their eyes to a higher place of vision as he'd lead them up mountainsides and as he'd walk down into the valleys and do miracles and as he'd show acts of compassion, love, and mercy, and then eventually as he as he heads to his death down in Jerusalem. But uh, this story, it's, it's revealed again through these different eyewitness um, authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got four different eyewitness accounts, and it, it's Every time I read through the Gospels, it seems like different things sort of come to the surface and God speaks to me. And I hope that you will continue to to dig into the Bible and to maybe every year, every few years, read through the Gospels again just to get the heart of the message of Jesus and the Gospel, the good news of what he did for sinners. The second next step is this. It's I would encourage you to offer to do God's will through your life here and now. You know, Jesus, he models that in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way but this, but not my will, but yours be done. You know, what a way to live our lives. I don't know what age you are. I don't know what the circumstances in your life are. But I hope we would be people who would say, God, take my life and use it for your purposes. I hope that here and now, whatever age you are, with whatever time and resources and energy and focus you can give it, I hope that you'll be able to offer your life to do the will of God here and now, really moving the message of Jesus from this generation to the next. And then really tied to that, this third and final next step is this, is to invite a guest to next Sunday's launch of the Divine Descent. It's a message series we put together for the Christmas series. It's three weeks long, but it'll kick off December 5th. And so we invite you to, to be here online. We invite you to come live to our service at Orange Terrace Park and Community Center. And we'll kick that off on the 5th. It's going to be a great time. You know, Christmas season is just, it's another opportunity where people are ripe to hear a message of hope. And so I, I hope that you would take part in passing this message on, extending an invitation uh, to to those guests in your life and those people that you love and care for. Hey, let's pray as we wrap up. Father, thank you for uh, your your story that you've been writing. Lord, thank you for your plan that was formed in eternity past. And Lord, that now you have introduced to us, you help us understand your work in the world, your work 
through your son Jesus and through sending him here to rescue and redeem a broken and fallen humanity. Lord, I pray for each person that's watching. I hope, Lord, that you would continue to, to draw more people to know you and that we as a church could play a part in seeing people come to faith in Jesus. No longer trusting in our own selves, no longer trusting and counting on our own works or, or efforts, which all prove to fall short. But Lord, thank you that in Jesus, he did what we couldn't do on our own. He shed his blood, the, the gift of a perfect sacrifice that covers over our sin. Lord, we thank you for this story. It's real and it still impacts lives even today. I pray for all those, Lord, who, who are on the fence and have not yet decided to follow you. I pray that you would nudge them to turn their lives over to you, even now, even here. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity of a Christmas series. Lord, I pray that you'd use this to help many more be invited to come and hear about the birth of our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.